As Ron mentioned earlier, uh, he said that our mission here at LifePoint is pointing people to life in Jesus. It's built upon the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, hey, I've come to give you life to the fullest, real and better life in me, Jesus said, than you could ever imagine apart from Jesus. And you and I experience that abundant life or life to the fullest through four purposeful ways. That's how we talk about it here at LifePoint. And you're going to experience that life when you are introducing people to Jesus. You're going to experience that when you are growing in your faith relationship with God. You're going to experience life to the fullest when, when you are connecting with other believers and practicing what the New Testament talks about, the one another's of the New Testament. And finally, you're going to experience life to the fullest in Jesus when you are committed to serving others. And, and we mentioned last week, why did Jesus need to come and give us this type of life? Because he said in the beginning of that verse, John 10, 10, he said that there's a thief. And that thief is working hard to steal from you and, and, to, and to kill and to destroy you. And as we saw last week, right, this, this thief, he has many different names in the Bible. He's called Satan. He's called Lucifer. He's called the devil. He's called the deceiver, the destroyer, the accuser, the father of lies, and the prince of darkness. You need to understand he hates you. He hates you. And he hates God. And the Apostle Paul said that you and I are in a very real battle with this destroyer, with this enemy. And he says this, Ephesians 4, chapter 6, verse 12, for we are not battling against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, the people who drive you crazy and drive you nuts, they're not your real enemy. But our battle, the verse says, is against ruler, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. In other words, there's more to the world that you and I are in than what we see. Do you realize that? There's more than just what we see. He says, he goes on, he says, we are fighting against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So in this message series, we are looking at a few different images or a few different metaphors of this spiritual enemy in order to more effectively understand him so that you and I can find success and we can find victory in this spiritual war. Now, last week, if, if you weren't here, I really encourage you to jump online and either watch or listen. Uh, the de we saw that the de this deceiver is somebody who deceives and attacks your mind with lies, right? And today I want us to see that this deceiver, this enemy, Satan, the devil, he's an accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. He attacks your heart with accusations. He'll attack your mind with lies and your heart with accusations, now, I, I got to tell you, I was thinking about this and, and, and how that's been so true in my life and, and thinking about the reality that there are so many times in my life that I have made mistakes and I have screwed up. Is, am I alone in that? Have you made some mistakes and screwed up, right? Okay, good. So a few of you are with me. Man, I got to tell you, I've messed up as a dad so many times. And I was thinking about it, and I can remember back uh, when my kids were younger and Kobe was younger and he was in sports and I was a coach and, uh, and I used to be extremely competitive and, and, and God's been, and, 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 and used to, and I still am, but God's been helping me with it. And, and you know, I'm a recovering, you know, competitive person. And, and, but back then, I just, my filters weren't as good and I hadn't grown as much. And I can remember a couple times and coaching Kobe and being harder on him than others. 
And I can remember one time vividly gets in the car and I'm still going because, you know, my son, he's great. He could do all this. And, and, and I'm talking to him and I'm trying to coach him. I'm trying to pump him up, right? You ever done that with Ian, right? And you're trying to pump him up. And I think I'm doing a good thing, right? But then his tears start flowing down his face. And I wish I could say that was the only time that I, that, that happened. But it happened multiple times, and it took me a while to figure it out. And I, I've been a bad dad so often, and I've been a, a lousy spouse. And, and there's times where, as a boss with, with, the, with the team here, where I've, I've talked to, to a team member or staff member, and I finish the conversation and wish, man, I wish I would have done that better. wish I would have done that different. And as a pastor, there's times when just being a pastor and wish I could take that conversation back or wish I could have said it differently or wish I could have handled that in a different way. And when I'm in those situations, you know what this enemy does? He sends his fiery darts of accusations at me. You're not worthy to be married to her. You're so unrighteous. You're so filthy. You're so undeserving. Man, you are a bad example to your kids. Man, and their kids' friends, they're seeing that. That's terrible. You're not even a man of God. You shouldn't be preaching. And in my heart, I find myself saying, I'm a failure. And I'm not a good dad. And I shouldn't be a pastor. And on and on and on those thoughts come into me. Why? Because Satan attacks our heart with those fiery darts of accusations. These voices are not from the Heavenly Father who loves me. They come from the enemy who hates me. So I want to ask you, how many of you have experienced something like what I just talked about? Raise your hands if you've experienced that. So you know what I'm talking about, right? You've had those thoughts and you've had those feelings and you, you hear those voices that tell you you're not good enough. That you are unworthy. That you're not trustworthy. That you're irresponsible. And on and on it goes. Those come from the enemy who in the Bible is called the accuser. So here's my prayer for you this morning. Based on Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, as your pastor, my prayer for you is that no weapon turned against you will succeed and that you will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. By the power of the risen Savior, Jesus, I pray that you may silence every voice that rises up to accuse you. So let's look at this devil, this accuser, this is what John called him in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He said this. He said, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the, now I want you to watch this, for the, and what's the word? For the, the accuser of the brothers and sisters who, what does he do? He, he accuses them before our God day and night. Night and day, day and night, on and on and on he goes. He's accusing. For the accuser of our brothers has been hurled down. In other words, he's defeated by the risen Savior Jesus when he died on the cross and then rose from the dead. But the devil doesn't stop accusing you. Day and night, day and night. And here's how he tries to work you and I over. Before you sin, he lies to you, right? 
before you sin or before I sin, the devil says, hey, go ahead and do that. That's all right. That's no big deal. Everybody else is doing that. It, it, it's not that big of a deal. In fact, the, what the Bible says about that was meant for people thousands of years ago. You're not going to get caught. Besides, you deserve it. Uh, who, and who really cares anyways? It's your life. That's what he does before you sin. He's lying to you. But after you sin, what, is, what happens with him? His tone changes, doesn't it? You're pathetic. You're no good. God doesn't love you. God will never use you. You've gone too far. Look at yourself. You're hideous. You're unworthy. You're unlovable. You're undeserving. Before you sin, he lies to you. After your sin, what does he do? He accuses. In fact, when the devil talks to you about God, he lies to you. Do you remember? That's what we talked about last week. Again, I'll even go back and listen. He, he lies to you. Did God really say that? Is that really what the word of God says? Is that really how you're supposed to interpret that? And that's what we talked about last week. But when the devil talks to you about you, that's when he's accusing you. You're no good, you're pathetic, you're unworthy, unlovable. Before we sin, he's subtle, isn't he? He tries to convince us you can get away with it, but after you sin, the accusations come at an accusatory tone and he shouts out, you blew it, you blew it, you're awful, you're no good. So how do we overcome the voices of this accuser? How do we get there? Because you all raised your hand, you've all been there, you all know what those feelings are like and they're terrible and they cripple us and they reduce us to, to something that God doesn't want for our lives. So how do we overcome it? Oh, I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 3. Now, Zechariah is in the Old Testament. If you're more familiar with the New Testament, if you go to like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you go to Matthew and just um, turn left instead, instead of going right, turn left back two books. So it's Matthew, and before that's Malachi, and before that's Zechariah. So you can turn there or, or, or go on your phone and do it that way. Zechariah 3. It's going to offer us some insight into this for us. Let me give you the context. Zechariah has a vision, and he sees this heavenly courtroom. So I want you to picture that you are in a courtroom. How many here have ever served on jury duty, right? A bunch of us served on jury duty. How many of you have, have, a, have a great way of getting out of jury duty, right? Some of you are like, hey, man, I'm an expert, right? So, so this is a courtroom, and, and how many of you have been on trial? Don't answer that one. Okay, so you picture this heavenly courtroom, and there's three different characters in the story. First, you have God, and God is the judge in the story. And then there's Joshua, and Joshua is the high priest, and he's on trial. He's the defendant. Third character in the story is Satan. Satan's the prosecutor. He's the one who's trying to convince God, who's the judge, trying to convince God that Joshua, the high priest, is guilty. Satan's the accuser. Now, what's interesting here is that Satan appears to have a case with, in regards to Joshua's guilt because he's going to say that Joshua's garments, Joshua's robes, are dirty. And what you and I need to understand is, is a high priest's robes cannot be dirty. They must be clean. And dirt or filth is always a sign or a picture of sin in the Old Testament. 
And so it appears like, like Satan has a case against Joshua. So let's pick up the story. Hopefully you're there now. Zechariah chapter 3. It says this, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now let's pause there for a moment. I'm going I'm to sidetrack for a moment. The angel of the Lord is most likely Jesus Christ himself. So I want to just teach you a fancy theological word that's you know, used by academics. And it's the word Christophany. Christophany. A Christophany is essentially an appearance of Jesus or Jesus Christ in the Bible, you know, usually most often in the Old Testament. Dr. John uh, Walverd said this in his book, Jesus Christ Our Lord. He says this, it's safe to assume that every visible manifestation of God in bodily form in the Old Testament is to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's lots of Christophanies in the Bible. I'll just give you one kind of maybe an easy example. You're like, okay, now that makes sense to me. So uh, maybe you've read the book of Daniel before. And you, maybe you know one of the stories. Maybe you don't. But there's this one story where, where these three Jewish people um, um, are thrown into a fiery furnace. And they're thrown into this fiery furnace because they were commanded to worship a false god. And they said, no, we're only going to worship God. So they're thrown in this fiery furnace where they should die. But the Bible tells us in that passage that a fourth man appeared in the fiery furnace. Who was that fourth man? Scholars say that was Jesus Christ. That's an example of a Christophany. So let's pick it up again. Zechariah 3, verse 1. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, most likely Jesus, and Satan standing at his right side. Now, what was this devil or Satan doing? He was doing what he always does. He was there to what? What does it say? To, what's the word again? To accuse him. He's accusing Joshua. So look at this. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning uh, stick snatched from the fire? In other words, Joshua may be guilty but he's being saved from punishment. So I want you to imagine this. Here's Joshua, and he's dressed in filthy clothes. Even though as a high priest, he should have been clean. He appears to be guilty. He's standing before God in these filthy clothes. In other words, he is not dressed appropriately before God. Have you ever been in a situation where you weren't dressed appropriately for the moment? You ever been there? I, I got to tell you one time it happened to me, and, and it was a tough situation. I can remember I was a, a student pastor at a new church that I went to, and, and so we had our winter camps, and, and our college students, we had about 150, 200 college students, and, and where we went to winter camp is we took them on a cruise. Yeah, life was rough as a, as a college student pastor. So we took them on a cruise, and it was my first winter camp with them uh, on this cruise, and I, so I had never done that, never been a part of it. Well, the second evening was supposed to be some type of, you know, big dinner together. And and so Heather and I show up and, you know, I have jeans on and I have a casual shirt and, you know, Heather's wearing, you know, this cute little sundress and and we walk into the room and we sit down and I got to tell you, I wanted to die. I just wanted to die. Every single person was like dressed to the nines. I mean, people are wearing ties and sport coats, and some are even wearing suits, and the ladies are all wearing these gowns. I was the only guy in the entire place not wearing a tie and nice clothes. Heather was the only woman who was not in a formal gown. We felt so embarrassed. We felt so humiliated. We were totally underdressed. Now, 
For those of you who go, that was our first cruise ever. So for those of you who go on cruises all the time, you're like, duh, you idiot. You know, there's always a formal time. I know that now. <laughs> Back then, I had no clue. Imagine, though, you're standing before God. And, and you're not just underdressed, but the way you're dressed, you've got sin all over you. You have the stain of sin on you. And God, and you're standing before God who is holy. And suddenly you're there before him and you just feel so guilty. And then imagine there's a prosecutor, the accuser, the devil, and he's standing there pointing out everything you've done wrong and why your robe is so full of sin. I don't know what he'd say about you, but I bet you do. Maybe you've lied quite a bit and he's accusing you before God and reminding God of all the times you've lied. Maybe he's there accusing you before God, reminding you of, of reminding God of all the times you've cheated. Maybe you've committed adultery, and, and, God, and he's saying that before God, and, and, and maybe you battle with lust, and, and maybe that's your issue, and maybe you're looking at porn, and you're, maybe you're even doing that a lot, and then you come to church, and you sit here and act like you really love Jesus, and, and he's just accusing you over that, or, or maybe you filed you know, for something with bankruptcy or something, or financially, you know, you had a financial collapse, or maybe right now you're sitting here, and you can't even pay your bills, and he's just laying into you and talking about how irresponsible you you are and you're letting people down and he's reminding God of the way you hurt that person and that person the way you made your son cry or your daughter cry or, or that person you know feel worse and on and on he goes I don't know what the accusations look like for you but he you know because you felt it before and the devil's accusing and he's hurling guilt and shame and condemnation listen that is his mo he's the accuser who accuses God's people day and night, day in, day out. Now, before we look at the rest of the story, I want to show you some really good news, because it's kind of depressing, right? I mean, it's like, man, I'm here, I, you know, I got up and the time changed, and I still showed up to first service, and like, can you give me something, because I'm dying here. The devil's the accuser, but who's Jesus? Well, the good news is, is that Jesus is your advocate. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it gives us this amazing news. It says, it says this, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Who's the advocate? What does it go on to say? He is Jesus Christ. Notice, the only one who is true, the one or the only one who is truly righteous. The devil accuses you again and again and again and again. But the Bible says you have the Son of God, and he is your advocate. He is your friend, and he pitches your case. My daughter, um, she, she's not in here now, so I can I probably got to remember not to mention second service, but my daughter, who's kind of screwed up this weekend and needed to be on restriction and be in trouble, and, and so, you know, mom has put her on restriction, and she can't use this and can't use this, and, but it was her big weekend to have a lot of plans, and, and so Heather's doing, you know, like using this as teach a lesson time, and, 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 and so Heather was here at if all day, you know, hopefully getting all buttered up and all, you know, softened, you know, by God and all that, and, and I, and in a good way, right, and so I'm there with Callie, and I'm thinking, all right, here's an opportunity for me to kind of draw alongside of her, and so I'm talking to her, trying to have this be a good dad-daughter moment, you know, thinking about even the sermon, thinking about how all the ways I've screwed up, right, and so here's a way to, you know, some redemption, right, so I'm drawing alongside of her, listening to what's happening, why she's in trouble, trying to empathize with her, 
And then I was like, you know what, Cal? I totally understand. How about this? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go to your mom and uh, see if I can be your advocate. Now, that uh, violates parenting 101. <laughs> Does everybody know that? Like, right? So, so you're like, holy, what, what are you talking about? Well, I was thinking about the sermon. I was like, I needed an illustration right here. But I did. I just tried to listen. I said, well, well, let me talk to your mom. But I understand, you know, I'm trying to defend her. I was like, because I agree and this is right. And, you know, and, but I asked her, I asked her, I said, did you make a mistake? Yes or no? Did you mess up? I said, because based on your answer, that'll be based, that'll depend on, on, you know, how I, how I argue. If you've made a mistake, if you haven't made a mistake, then we'll talk that way. But if you've made a mistake and you've messed up and, you know, you've sinned, then what we're going to do is we're going to plead for mercy. We're going to plead for mercy. So we had a great little time with, with her, and Heather came home last night, and, you know, how did it go? Oh, it was amazing, and did God work on you and do some good things in your heart? And, and she's like, oh, yeah, and, and, and I'm like, you know, so I'm just listening to all this. I said, you know what, maybe we could extend that. So anyway, violated again, and now the devil's accusing me because, you know, 200 people are like, you're a horrible dad, a horrible pastor, and, so I don't know what Heather's going to decide on all that and if she shows mercy. But Heather and I stand <laughs> as one. Did that sound bad too? You see, the problem with this illustration, and, and my staff knows right now, the problem, like Derek's sitting there going, I guarantee none of that is written in his notes, right? That's, what, that's exactly what Derek's thinking because he knows if it's not written, it's going to go from bad to worse. <laughs> right? Derek, am I right? He's like, I mean, he's like, that's not it. He's leaning over to Aaron. That's not in his notes. Watch how bad this gets. <laughs> All right, the whole point of that is Jesus is our advocate. He's the one who's defending us before God, and he's saying, God, have mercy. God, by the way, I died for their sins, and, and I've forgiven them, and they're clean, and they're white as snow. Jesus is our advocate. The devil's trying to prove how Joshua is guilty, but Jesus comes to our defense. Make no mistake, Callie's guilty with what she did, but I was trying to come to her defense. Look at verse 4, Zechariah chapter 3. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Yeah, you're dirty. Yeah, you're guilty. Yes, you may be unworthy, but I'm taking that away, which shows the residue of sin in your life. I'm putting on something new, something clean that you can't earn, that you don't even deserve. I'm doing that not because you're good, but to show you and I how good God is, how good I am, God says. Take off the filthy clothes. Put on the robes of righteousness. See, I have forgiven you. Are you understanding the story, what's going on in this heavenly courtroom? Are you tracking this? Or, or maybe it's not totally making sense to you, and if that's the case, there's an example in the New Testament that perfectly parallels the story that, that we're looking at here in Zechariah 3, and that's the story in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, it's the story of the lost sons, or, the, or maybe you know it as the parable, the, prodig the parable of the prodigal child. And the story goes like this, is that Jesus is telling a story about a father who had two sons, and 
One of the sons comes to, to his father and says, hey, I'd like my share of the inheritance now. I don't want to wait until you die, which, by the way, is basically the son saying God uh, to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead so I can get my money. And he wanted to go out and live the way that he wanted to live. So the, the, the father gave him you know, his share of the inheritance, and he went off, and he lived wild, wild the bar- Bible says. He partied hard, and then one day he wakes up and realizes, oh, my goodness, I've so screwed up. What have I done? And I suspect some of you might be in a similar position right now. And you're kind of looking at your life going, man, what have I done? How did I get here? And you have all those feelings you have because the devil's still accusing you. And you, like the son, are hurting because of your sin or your bad choices. And the scripture says in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, that he, the son, it's a great verse, he came to his senses. And so he realized, you know what, my, my, my dad's servants they are living better than I'm currently living. So how about I go home, I'll beg my dad for mercy and plead, you know, for him to be merciful and just make me like a servant. I don't even have to be a son anymore. Just, I'll take being one of your servants. I'd be better than my current situation. So the son heads home. Well, in this story that Jesus tells us, he, he tells us that the father, and this is unbeknownst to the son, the father was standing on the edge of town every day, hoping and praying that his son would come home. The son assumed the father was going to be ticked off. He's going to be extremely angry at him. Instead, the Bible tells us when the father saw the son, the Bible tells us this, that the father, as soon as he saw his son a long way off, does anybody know? One or two of you might know. What did the father do at that point? Does anybody know? He ran towards him. He didn't just wait and stand there and make his son come to him. He ran towards him. He saw, he, he just started taking off and booking it towards his son. And even though the son was filthy, literally, and dirty, literally, physically, and spiritually, the Bible tells us that the father took his very best and completely clean robe and he put it over the filth of the son. And so when that father now looked at the son and they walked back to the, you know, the compound together, I mean, he's got servants, so this is a big home, a big house, a big everything. And as they walked back, nobody saw the residue of his sin. They saw the outward righteousness of the father. And the father looked at the son and said, you'll always be a son to me. Come on, let's come home. Let's celebrate. You see, that's a perfect picture of what we're looking at here in Zechariah 3. The high priest was guilty. And the angel of the Lord, Jesus in the Old Testament, says, take off those dirty robes. Put on this fine garment. I've taken away your sin. And it's all by the grace of God that I've removed your sin from your life. Let's pick up the story. Verse 5, Zechariah 3. This is what it says. It says, then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him. While the angel of the Lord stood by, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. Now, as we look at what the angel of the Lord or Jesus says, I want you to notice that what the angel didn't say. The angel isn't going to say, Joshua, after your poor way of living and your bad sin and your poor performance as a, as a leader, you're going to go on a year-long probation. And if in that probation period you can live up to the standards that I have for you, then perhaps at the end of it you can enter back into service of the Lord. But you're going to go back and you're going to start over. You're going to start at the entry level. You're going to start over. Instead, look what he says, verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements... 
Then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. The angel Jesus says, take off your filthy garments, put on the fine garments, and then he essentially says this. He says, I want you to return to the temple and keep on serving the Lord. I want you to return to the temple. Keep serving God. I suspect many of us have been living under the accusations of the enemy in our life. As he says to you, you can't. You never will. After what you did, and you've been away, and you've wandered, and you're no good, and you've got all those issues, and you have that doubt, and you've been battling with that and battling with that, and you're not overcoming that. And God says, no, 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 no. I've forgiven you of all that. I've forgiven you of your sin. Yes, obey. Yes, obey and, and do the right thing. But I want you back in the temple now. And I want you back in the temple now, serving me now. I want you to get, a get back in the game now. I want you to start loving people right now. I want you to start pointing people to life in Jesus now. I want you to keep on loving in my name. I want you to keep lifting up my name. Get back in the temple and serve the Lord. See you and I as Jesus followers. As you had the, con the contrast between Jesus' words and the devil's words, you and I got to learn to distinguish between the devil's accusations and the spirit's conviction. Because the devil, he tries to accuse, but the spirit tries to convict. What are we talking about here? You know what the accusation does? When the devil comes and tries to accuse you, he does it so he can drive you away from God. To get you to say, I'm unworthy, I can't go into the presence of the Lord. So the time when you and I should be pressing closer and closer into a relationship with God, that's when we actually get further away because that's what the devil wants. Guilt and shame, accusations, so you'll turn away from God. But conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know what that does? That leads you to God. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I want his love. When Satan accuses us, he wants us to feel guilty. He wants us to feel shame. He wants us to feel unlovable and unworthy. He wants us to feel so dirty that we'll end up distancing ourselves from God. But whenever the Spirit convicts you, it leads you to repentance. And, and it draws you into the presence of God so that you can experience his grace and mercy and forgiveness. Acts chapter 3 says this, Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. That's what God does. It's the conviction of the Spirit that leads us to confess our sins. Because 1 John 1, 9 tells us God is faithful. He'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. It's the conviction of the, about the goodness of God where, where his presence says this, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus you need to understand when the Spirit is convicting you, you'll step into the grace of God because he is good through and through. I love what one preacher said. He said this. He said, the devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin but calls you by your name. Isaiah 43, 1, I have called you by name. You are mine. Listen, God knows what you've done. 
But when you repent and when I confess and you confess, he doesn't hold that against us. In fact, I love the way Paul says it and describes this whole process, how we do battle against this evil one who's accusing us. Second Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every, uh, every, we take captive, excuse me, every thought to make it obedience to Christ. So here's what this means. When this enemy starts lying to us, starts accusing us, starts telling us what we are not and what we need to do and why we can't, we need to take those thoughts captive and fight with our spiritual weapons, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us. And you can go and read those. We talked about them a little bit last week, but I want to focus on the one that we mentioned last week. We fight with those weapons, and one of the weapons is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's our only offensive weapons. Uh, this summer, uh, my family and I got a, went back to see uh, Heather's grandma, and before we went there, we stopped into uh, Washington, D.C. for a couple days. And I, 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 we had a great time, super hot, super humid, crazy, but, but I'd get up early every morning, and I'd go running, and so I'd running, you know, over by the SCOTUS building and Capitol Mall, the Capitol building. It was a great run. I'd get back, and I'm kind of cooling down and walking around, and there's this guy, and he was sitting on the porch, and he was about 20, 30 years old. And he was sitting there, and he, he was reading something, and I said, hey, hello. He says, hi, and I said, hey, I, 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 I like what you're reading there. It looks like you're enjoying your reading, because it looked to me like it was a Bible. And he said this, I'll never forget what he said. He said, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. I read it every day. I got to get my wisdom. Man, that's I'll never forget that. I read it every day. I got to get my wisdom. The word of God is what gives you wisdom so that you can take these accusations of the enemy so that you can capture them and you can make those thoughts obedient to Christ. So whenever we hear that we're a failure, that we're no good. What does wisdom say? I got to get my wisdom. What does the word of God say? No, I'm not a failure. I'm not no good. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The devil accuses and says, God is punishing you. No. Wisdom tells me, my, the Bible says, my father is a good God. Matthew 7.11 says, he gives good gifts to the children that love him. There's an attack from this evil one in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says what, what, the, what he meant for evil, God's going to mean for good. You're going through a hard time right now and you're like, hey, I'm a, I got to get my wisdom. What does the word of God say? It says in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, I consider pure joy whenever I face trials of many kinds because I know that my faith is being tested and it's going to develop perseverance so I can finish the work, so I can be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. No matter what accusation comes your way, the devil's just coming at us over and over and over. And no matter how often he comes to you, you quote the word of God. And he says to you, man, you're messed up. And you say, no, no, no. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4 says. Why? Because the Lord is near, and I'm not going to be anxious about everything. But through prayers and petitions, I'm going to tell God what I need. And if I take those steps, man, I'm going to experience that verse says that God's peace, which transcends anything I understand. The devil says, God doesn't love you. God's not with you. You're like, no, 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 no. Romans chapter 8 says we're more than conquerors 
through Jesus Christ who loved us. So I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor any other power, height nor debt nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see what you do? You take the sword of the spirit. You got to get your wisdom. And when the attacks come, you say, God is with me. God is for me. First John 4, 4, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Do you realize how defenseless you and I are if we don't have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God in our lives? Do you understand what we're talking about? You and I are defenseless without it. It's the reason I love, just again what that guy said, I got to get my wisdom, I got to get my wisdom. He pours into the Word. If you and I don't know the Word of God, if we're not in the Word of God on a daily basis, you're a sitting duck of the accusations of the enemy. So whenever he accuses, you capture the thought, you make it obedient to Christ. How? You get your wisdom. You fight back with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. He's trying to get you to not live for God, not to glorify God, not to make a difference for the kingdom. He's trying to get you to be disconnected from other people. He's trying to get you to never serve others. His tactics are clear. He's going to attack you with accusation after accusation after accusation but the good news is you and I have an advocate. We have a defense. And he's seated right next to the right hand, at the right hand of the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. And when the devil accuses us, Jesus says, nope, not true. I saved him from all of it. Nope, not true. You're new. Nope, not true. You're forgiven. Nope, not true. You're my child. And I love you. Let's pray. Father God, when our enemy accuses this body of believers, when he attacks and when he tries to tear us down, and God, when he tells us how unworthy we are, God, when he tells us we should be ashamed and fearful of you, when he tries to convince us, God, that you cannot use us because of your, our sin, God, I just pray for each person here this morning. And God, I just pray that no weapon turned against this body of Jesus followers will, will succeed, Lord. And I, God, I pray that by the power of your truth, God, you would give us the strength to take captive every thought that enters our mind and help us to make those thoughts obedient to you, Jesus. God, I pray that each person here by the power of the Spirit will silence every voice raised up to accuse us. God, we turn to you to be our hope, to be our strength, to be our joy. So thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins and assuming the position at the right hand of the Father, God, to be our advocate. We praise you, God. We love you. So, God, we pray this in the holy and powerful name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.